Here's a big surprise. Supply management is a lot more than that old game show, Let's Make a Deal. In fact, the report SIPS Supply Century had this to say about the future of procurement. Quote, professionals will need to be more polished, creative, influential, persuasive, visionary, and strategic, and exhibit more general management capability and leadership traits for a new type of business relationship. Unquote. And you thought you had it made when you figured out how to close a good negotiation. Welcome to Global Sourcing Insights from SIPS. I'm Bob Rossback, and with me is Bill Michaels, Vice President of Operations, SIPS Americas. Bill, you're conducting workshops all the time. What do you see? Well, I think, I think there's some serious uh, skill set gaps in, in uh, uh, some of the new, newer people, the emerging pro- professionals that are coming into the, uh, into the supply chain and with the established professionals, uh, there's some real gaps. And oddly enough, those gaps aren't in the procurement skills area. Really? Yeah, really. I mean, I was working in, uh, in a, with a group uh, yesterday, and we were working really hard on, on helping them uh, look at the big picture uh, to be able to think about how to talk to executives in their language, how to talk about growth, margin, risk, opportunity, rather than RFP or process issues or uh, supplier uh, relationships. It's more, more about looking at the big picture and speaking to our executives in, in the language of business. And that's the skill set we, we miss. You know, I was talking to a, a CEO the other day who's desperately looking to fill a, a chief purchasing officer's position. And he says, what, what do I really need? What skill set should I really give that person? And I said, well, the first thing you have to look for is not procurement skills. You have to look for someone that's extremely curious uh, you have to look for someone that has emotional intelligence and, and most of all, someone that understands business. It's easy to teach how to write a contract, who to do a negotiation, how to do the segmentation models, what the procurement process is. Very difficult to get someone that wants to know why is it like this? How is it made? What happens here? What's the cost? Where can I increase the value? So I think you know, the, the, the skill sets that people are, are training on are, are skill sets that are innate to purchasing. The skill sets that are not, are not trained are business acumen, looking at the big picture and talking to executives about growth, margin, risk, and opportunity. So um, I think it's, it's changing and that's the requirement for people now. So the profession, people get into the profession because they think, hey, I like to buy stuff. You know, I'm a great buyer, but what you're saying is that um, those skills are great and it's nice to have them, but you really have to be uh, ready for some top line thinking. In other words, building revenue with innovations from the supply chain and uh, communicating with your CEO on his or her level. Yeah, and I think as we look to the future, you know, right now a lot of companies are focused on cost reduction, but cost reduction will only last so long. So I think what really we need to change and shift the uh, thinking of our procurement people into how can I get more value? How can I get more value for money and how can I contribute value to the organization? So I think that's a mind shift change that has to happen both in the executive suite and down at the procurement level. But when, when uh, a typically procurement talk the, to the executives, they talk their own language and it's procurish. It's like, oh, we're gonna do three RFPs. Oh, we're gonna do a, uh, you know, a, a segmentation model. 
and, and the executives could care less about that. They want to know how are you going to contribute to the business. So I think you've developed a new term, procurish. We're yeah. talking procurish. Yeah, and that's the only thing I can I can say because I've I've heard it so many times. And you know, if you uh, uh, one one of the exercises we did in the training the other day was a uh, elevator speech. So I'm the CEO, and one of my colleagues was the CFO, and and tell us how you're gonna how you're gonna help. And um, they struggled to the point where you know it was it was a, a horrible experience for them, but a good learning experience because what they took away from that was you got to look at the big picture, you got to be able to talk the right language, and you got to be concise and be uh, um, convincing. So presentation yep. skills are another thing that I would definitely encourage anybody in the procurement side uh, to really work on, develop, and and get. As part of that. Uh software is really taking the fun out of some of those transactional tasks, isn't it? Uh, I mean, procurement professionals are, uh, have, are kind of, you know, leaving some of that to the computers and essentially to sort of automate tasks. And so uh, the, the pressure to think bigger is coming some kind of from both sides. It's coming from the, the CEO down who wants to hear uh, different things from the uh, chief procurement officer. And it's also coming from the bottom up in the sense that uh, the the software, the AI, the big data analysis is is um, automating some of the tasks that buyers used to do. I, I think you're right. I think when we think about what's happening in the future, we're listening to um, uh, what, what how, how are the transactions going to be managed. It's no no doubt that an AI computer in the next five years will be able to search the internet, find the suppliers, build RFIs. May even work on RFPs and make recommendations on sourcing. Um, so, so I think that you're right there. But what I think is going to happen with the buying community, and I think what they really need to realize now, is um, they, they're always short-sighted on selecting suppliers. Well, we're going to select the supplier. But when they start thinking about what are they doing, they're actually arch architecting the supply chain of the future. And if we look into the future, our supply chains are going to be linked supply chains uh, with integrated data systems, and, and the job is going to change. Price is going to give way to value. Uh, we're going to be looking at the value chain across the, the uh, business. And, and we're, we're going to have to be able to have really good external collaboration with our suppliers so that we can all work together to remove, take cost out, and put value in. So I think that's the kind of thing, and that's what our job will will change to. So when I say we have to have emotional intelligence and I say that we have to have uh, a new skill set with curiosity and, and we have to have business acumen, we also have to have relationship skills, which is part of that emotional intelligence to be able to drive that supply chain, architect that supply chain and manage that supply chain. Yes, it looks like as you say, as you as we go deeper into supply chains, as we have, as people have to look through not just the tier one, but tier two, tier three, two, four, whatever, right back to raw materials for sustainability issues, for ethics issues and other things, uh, buyers, procurement people need to have analytic and even investigative skills. Absolutely. And they're really architecting the chain. So, you know, what should that chain look like and where's the value going to come from? And so I don't think that we're there yet, but I do think that that's going to be some of the skill sets that we need to look to for the future. So when, uh, when people are looking and they're looking at their skill sets, they need to look deeper than I want to make a contract. I want to do, uh, I want to do a segmentation. I want to do a cost analysis. This is going to be, I want to understand the value chain and how do I manage that value chain in its entirety?
So where does SIPS help in all this? Well, you know, um, the first place I think it really, there's a couple places I think SIPS helps. The first place is in the global standard where they've actually identified and mapped all of the, all of the, supply, all of the procurement jobs and they look at what skill sets does this job need? What should these people uh, be able to do? And, and that, that standard changes every year because they go back out to some of the best com companies in the world and they uh, do a, a check on it to make sure that it's moving up with the time. So for any leader, that global standard is something that they should have in, in, in their organization, or at least have looked at and, and mapped out where are they compared to the global standard. And it is truly a global standard because SIPS is truly the, the, the main global company with offices across the globe in multiple continents. Um, the second thing I think that SIPS can help in is it, it really has extensive research and it's open to all of our members. Anybody that's a member of SIPS gets to get the research, the latest research, and, and they get to go into the Knowledge Center and pull out the things that they want. And I think the third thing is through its qualification program, which is a degree level certification qualification program. So I see uh, lots of areas where we help, and then we also have live programs to augment some of the some of the uh, processes that we're we're offering and some of the research that we're offering. And the certification process, what what does that involve? Well, it, it, there's there's a couple ways to get the certification. There's, there, it's very very interesting. One way is the traditional way where you take up five modules, or there's another way where a company can take its high potential people and take them through a learning process over a year and, or a year or two, and then and then through projects that they demonstrate using using uh, actual projects to bring a return to the company, they can they can build a certification path. So there's a couple ways through. Uh, and, and, you know, I encourage people to go to our website and see how that works. But I think the, the value add that SIPS brings is it brings the knowledge, it brings the global standard, it brings the research, and it's open to all of our members. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that uh, sort of uh, on-the-job experience, because, you know, there's certainly a lot of online learning out there, and uh, is there a certain limit to that? I mean, what, what can you learn? What skills can you pick up through uh, self-paced online uh, webinars? Uh, you know, then what's the advantage? What, at what point do you need a live workshop or multiple session courses or like you're saying, uh, you know, a year-long uh, intensive on-the-job kind of experience? Well, you're hitting on a nerve. Uh, we have run e-learning programs in, in large organizations, and then we've had to come back and reinforce that e-learning. Unless you have a way to embed that learning, um, uh, it, it, it really, it, it's very good, and it's top level. What I like to use e-learning for is a prerequisite to a course, prerequisite to some, some activity they're going to do, pre, prerequisite to a project to get everybody on the same page. But in terms of being able to take it from that e-learning, uh, go out there and practically apply it, use it, know how to use the, the skill set, I, do, I don't see that. Uh, but I do like the web-based learning because in the web-based learning, uh, we can record it. But one of the things you have is you have interactivity. And if you use, we have a, we have a platform where we can actually open up the mics and have people uh, discuss different topics. And you have a live instructor trying to help you. We like that a lot. You can do it in multiple languages across multiple activities. So that's, a, that's an area that I do like. Uh, and I do like e-learning for like prerequisites or uh, just to bring everybody up on the same uh, level set before they, they go into some strategic uh, activity. Uh, but there are some courses that you can't really put through uh, 
e-learning. I don't think negotiation is one where you're going to get a lot of value out of e-learning. It's actually an experiential kind of course where you have to experience, uh, make mistakes, try new techniques, and see how they work for you. And I think that that you know there are some experiential courses you have to take face to face. I think that um, that you can augment the e-learning with um, projects. I think you can augment the e-learning with any way that you can embed the learning is, is going to be the best. In fact, one of the clients I had in, in the past would force everybody leaving the workshop to do a project. So there was an e-learning prerequisite, and if they didn't take the e-learning, they, were, they weren't allowed to come into the class. So that kind of discipline. And then they had to go through the class and then leave the class, and they had six months to put in a project that demonstrated it was going to bring uh, a return on an investment using all the tools presented in the workshop. And the end result of that was uh, for every dollar they invested in training, the projects generated $40 in return on investment. So uh, I think some way, even, even if you do a classroom training, I think there's got to be some mechanism that people use to develop their teams and and get the uh, embedded material. I mean, the days of going to a workshop and getting there and having a good time and, you know, putting your book on the shelf and going back to business as usual, I don't think are, are practical anymore. But you do see a lot of that where someone goes into a quick workshop, they have a lot of fun, they meet people, do a fun activity, and then go back and never use the skill set. So yeah. I think it's up to the companies to be able to drive that development and make sure that they're getting the learning embedded. Otherwise, they're wasting their time and money. So that gets sort of to the point of uh, the difference between or the distinction between training and development. Absolutely. I, and I think there is a big difference. I mean, you can do a one-time training course, but, but how do you measure the return that you're going to get for that course? How are you sure that people are using that skill set? Uh, even if you send them to a public workshop, how are you sure? How do you know what they're going to get? And how does it apply to your organization? Are they capable of taking it back and applying it, uh, or do they just go have a great time, go back to business as usual when they hit the desk? And I think it's up to the supervisors and managers to actually have a career development path, actually take them through where where are they now, where do they want them to be in a year, where do they want them to be in three years, and build a path that takes takes the person up to that level. Well, excellent. Bill, uh, I certainly feel more educated on education right now, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. It was great.